0: Welcome back to Not Another Science Podcast. I'm Alex, and I'm also Alex. I'll be hosting solo this week. I've been talking to Jan Barfoot, a public engagement practitioner, science communicator, stem cell explainer, psychotherapist, and truly inspiring person. Jan has worked in public outreach for 20 years, involved in running and taking part in fascinating projects which explain complex and sometimes difficult topics to any and all audiences. Jan now focuses on teaching the next generation of public engagement practitioners here at the University of Edinburgh. I loved hearing about the unexpected ways Jan has engaged audiences with her top tips for anyone looking to get involved themselves, something we're all about here and not another science podcast. Before we start, this podcast is sponsored by Griner Bio One, supplying laboratory, diagnostic and medical products to research institutions, higher education, the NHS and others across the UK. For full details of the product range, visit www.gbo.com.
1: My name is Jan Barfoot, the title I use is Doctor and my pronouns are she and her. So currently I work full-time as a teaching fellow on the Masters for Science Communication and Public Engagement here at the University of Edinburgh.
0: And um, so you work Science Communication now, but what did you do before you got into SciComm?
1: Way back a few decades, I hate to say, I um, did a PhD in cancer cell biology. So that was in the late 90s early 2000s and whilst i was doing that phd i spent time i got involved with science communication initiatives so i think the very first thing i did might have been in the science festival running a workshop on dna and at that point the university used to convert the whole of adam's adam house which is on chambers street into this multi-floored science space for the whole of the festival and so I was in there doing doing a workshop on DNA and I think we were extracting DNA from kiwi fruits so that was my very first introduction to science communication. Now remind me of the question. (laughs) What did you do before (laughs) SciComm? Oh yeah a PhD. I did a PhD and I loved actually I loved biology and I still love biology. I've never... My love of science has never stopped, mm. and specifically of biology. Biomedical, I suppose I would say, is the, the closer field that I'm in. Um, although I have a great fondness for moss and lichens <laughs> and fungi, which oh. is what happens when, you don't, when you're no longer doing research. You find yeah. other stuff to do in your, in your life. But um, when I finished my PhD, my plan had been to get postdoc to continue in the cancer research field. Um, And I started applying for postdocs. And then I got an interview for a very unconventional postdoc, which was based at the Institute for Cell Biology. It was in the Darwin building then, which is having its big renovation. And this postdoc was about developing biotechnology-based practical work to be used Mm. in secondary schools, particularly in post-16 education. So the curriculum had just gone through a big um, revision and they wanted to get more contemporary biology into the curriculum and particularly more contemporary Mm. practical work. So they wanted someone who, who knew how to work in a lab who knew how to perhaps work with plasmids to start developing this practical work and sort of like cookery sets that people could take <laughs> into school and and use. So that's that was what um, I ended up doing, and I loved that. What I didn't realize was at that point I was actually leaving research <laughs> and moving into science communication. It was a hybrid thing, but what happened was there was it was just a little like a. A chink in the road and the further I went down that working with schools developing practical work um it sort of extended into getting funding to run other science communication public engagement projects in schools or at one point we had a mobile laboratory that we traveled around Scotland with running workshops doing things in science festivals so I I was making a much bigger decision than I thought. And at that point, I actually left cancer research. Um, And sometimes, well, I feel like I've had the best of all worlds because I've been able to stay in the research community. Mm. And up until two years ago, I was working as a science communicator um, in the field of stem cell research at the University of Edinburgh. And I was also teaching. I've been able to kind of keep my foot in both worlds. and indulge indulge my love of the science, as mm. well as my passion for communicating it and letting people access the wonder mm. that is contained within the scientific community.
0: So you've mentioned some terms there that I feel like we've, we've had a lot in the podcast in different episodes, and I don't think we've ever pinned this question down. So what is the difference between public engagement and science communication?
1: The reason it won't be pinned down for you is because of the different ways people use those terms. And and part of it is to do with the history of the sort of public engagement profession. So people used to talk about the public understanding of science. This might be very Mm. familiar to you, the public understanding of science and technology. There was this real sense of Yes, if we can just open up someone's head and pour all that understanding in and close their head, everything will be sorted. All the, all the challenges with trust and with people feeling confident about science or with people being able to talk about science and make informed decisions, that will all be solved. And, and that the whole sector has evolved on from that now into thinking about what it means to engage people with science. So mm-hmm. very originally, I was called a science communicator and okay. the history of that term was my role was to take a bit of science to contextualize it and deconstruct that bit of science and communicate it really clearly to someone in a way ah. that they could, um, they could take it on board and talk about it and all those kind of things. But you can see the sort of slight whispers of your job is to understand and my job is to communicate, the slight whispers of that history. So people started rethinking what it is we are actually trying to do in science communication, and that's where the term public engagement came from, in that actually Mm. we're looking to engage with All the different types of publics and how they connect with science in the vast variety of ways and we're looking to engage them with what we do and from my in my context it was always within uh, a university research sort Mm -hmm. of environment so um, it was helping publics engage with the research that is happening at the University of Edinburgh in whatever way is meaningful for them And so this brings in this idea of a two-way process that involves both talking and listening. Engagement isn't, engagement needs two people, right? It has to make a difference whether there is someone in the room with me or not. Mm -hmm. If I could do what I do and it didn't matter whether there was a group of people sitting with me, then that's not engagement, that's just monologuing at people, So that's a little bit of the history of those two terms. Now, actually, I would say now, if somebody does good science communication, then they are good science communication involves engagement. It involves engaging with um, learning about who your audience or participants are and what is their cultural and social and economic backgrounds and how can you enter into their world and how does the science connect with the world their worlds what what is relevant about it why is there importance to that bit of science being in their worlds and what might we have to learn from those publics so good science communication I think involves all that now and okay. likewise good public engagement involves good communication of the science yeah. you see what I mean so mm-hmm. these two terms are 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 troubling they're problematic they're challenging and they don't sit easily in two neat little boxes anymore but the reason I would call myself a public engagement practitioner is because um is because of what I'm centering in what I do. So if I only called myself a science communicator, I think I would be centering the science in what I do. But as a public engagement practitioner, I'm centering engagement and I'm centering the publics who I want to um, participate in the Mm -hmm. actions that I'm doing. So that's why I prefer using that term to describe myself. Okay, that's really interesting, love that.
0: so you mentioned there that a lot of work you've done has been public engagement for the university. What are the other situations where people use public engagement to communicate science?
1: So if you take it as a very broad spectrum, I guess you could start by thinking about policy and policy engagement and how policies are developed mm. and the role of publics in being part of the intelligences are being you know the realities there's evidence but there's also people's experiences mm-hmm. as in a particular policy area that sort of impacts that whole sector so that's you know I think policy is an area where public engagement happens certainly universities research institutes I think quite a lot of um, special interest charities have a real focus on public engagement, particularly if something like um, Bloodwise with a focus on blood cancers Mm. or Cancer Research UK. Actually, those are two different... Well, are they two different types of charities? You know, these are charities who might have a funding stream, but they also have an engagement stream and they also want to help people engage with the research that they're Mm. doing. I think in the clinical world there's public engagement happening as well it might be called um, um, I wonder if I'm going to remember what PPI stands for I want to say um, patient involvement or public and patient involvement with Uh um, clinical research that's happening and um, I guess for me People who are affected by conditions are a very specific and important mm-hmm. uh, participant in public engagement because they have lived experience of what it's like living with that condition. So the scientific community are coming, coming at the everyone is working towards trying to solve the same problem, but coming yeah. to, from different directions. So I could go on and I think there's a place just to be said for what is self-led public engagement where someone who just has interest and they take themselves to a science centre or they take themselves to the science festival and they're leading their own engagement. It might be thought of as general and sort of general interest, but I think that's important to mention as well. It's like this huge spectrum of where public engagement happens. And it happens, obviously, as well with the scientific community. Um, I'm hoping I've not... I think industry as well, you know, industry there's a very challenging relationship, particularly in Mm. biomedicine, between industries and the public. But they're part of the mix as well. You know, since COVID times, people have been, you know, talk about AstraZeneca and Moderna and Pfizer. These industries are just part of our lexicon now Mm -hmm. these pharmaceuticals whereas before that people might not have been aware of these these companies. Um, What is your work in a nutshell? So broadly my days would involve a lot of reaching out to people, phoning people, going through to the coffee room and going oh there's so-and-so I wonder if they'd review a bit of writing on stem cells and cord blood Mm. Or, ooh, I've got an event coming up at the Science Festival. I wonder if this person will agree to give a little 15-minute talk about their research. <laughs> um, so there was quite a lot of that, quite a lot of um, brokering relationships and mm. forming relationships, building relationships with people. There's a lot of, for me, I think there's a lot of thinking about what you're doing and actually just taking the time to properly think about what you're doing and why you're doing it and the outcomes you want to achieve and who are the best people to draw alongside, to do it in a creative and imaginative and engaging way. And then sometimes you would be doing a bit of science writing. Sometimes you're planning an event and you're thinking about the catering and you're thinking about accessibility and where people are going to park. Other times you're contacting a designer because you're developing a particular resource and you have to think mm-hmm. about how that's going to be designed. Other times you might be working with a software developer. If you know, um, um, I, made, I remember making some, some digital games and so I was working with oh, wow. a software developer. So it's really, it's really, really diverse, which I love. And then occasionally you're finding yourself standing in a shopping centre or um, in, you know, (laughs) saying, can I, can I show you something about stem cells using these sweeties? And and then you do that.
0: But truly engaging. She's been involved in so many awesome projects. I can't wait to see what the future holds. This podcast is brought to you by the Edinburgh University Science Media. In each episode we explore fascinating themes and ideas, talk to awesome researchers about their work and find out about the science being done by our very own staff and students here at the university and beyond. If you have any feedback for us or if you'd like to get in touch with a question or suggestion you can reach us on our Facebook page Edinburgh University Science Media or at our Twitter at USCI, that's at E-U-S-C-I. Can drop us an email at usi.podcast at gmail.com you can also find the show notes and the latest episode of the magazine at usi.org.uk this episode was hosted by me alex bailey the podcast logo was designed by usi chief editor apple chew and the awesome podcast art was designed by heather jones our social media and marketing genius The intro music is an edited version of Funkarama by Kevin MacLeod, and the outro music is an edited version of Football's in Space by Professor Colin Campbell. Thank you for listening, and until next time, keep it science.
1: So it's really, really diverse. You need to be a good administrator, but a good people person and have a sort of proactiveness. No one really tells you how to do the job. You just have to do the job and, and connect in with people.
0: So, so in your own public engagement activities, what are some of the common issues you come across when you're trying to communicate stem cell research?
1: So there's, there's a lot of meaty issues within the realm of stem cell research or perhaps regenerative medicine more broadly as a term. Mm. One, of the, one of the things to say, I suppose, comes under the term the HOPE Agenda. So stem cell research, regenerative medicine, um, for whatever reason, there is a lot of hope associated with the research. People have very high expectations. And part of that is to do with the conditions that are addressed, life-limiting conditions where there maybe aren't other treatment options. And that's where the regenerative medicine, stem cell research is stepping into that arena. But the thing with the hope agenda is that the public's expectations are higher in general. I'm talking in generalized time yeah. terms. The expectation is high, but it is taking time to actually meet that expectation. So that is one of the, that's one of the issues when you're engaging people with stem cell research is how you manage the hope agenda and how Mm. you talk to people in a way that doesn't destroy all hope, but is also anchored in reality and in the appropriate processes Mm. for a very fast-moving and very powerful uh, Mm -hmm. strand of biology. But because of that hope agenda, there's a second issue which is, and it's a bit of a mouthful, direct-to-consumer marketing of stem cell products and and some would even query whether they are stem cell products, whether there is actually stem cells in the products that are being sold, but they're being marketed Mm -hmm. as a product containing stem cells. So this is generally in an online capacity where people are looking to find a way to access some sort of treatment options that doesn't go through the healthcare system because there's actually... Very little that people can access through the healthcare system other than things that are related to um, blood cancers or the immune system you know stem cell research has got some some great applications in that area so the direct consumer aspect is that companies advertise they're not advertising to clinicians saying buy a product and discuss with them whether it's appropriate there saying we want to advertise direct to the consumer we are selling you something that you can choose that you can buy from us and so that sometimes involves international travel Um, you know i've spoken with people where whole communities fundraised thousands of pounds to allow someone to travel to mexico for a particular stem cell treatment for example for ms and so this is it's a really big issue it's wow. a really big issue and it's very, very hard to regulate.
0: And presumably these are all still medical treatments. It's not, there aren't other cosmetic treatments that you
1: can get in the same way? It happens in the cosmetic industry as well. I think stem cells have become a brand. If you yeah. notice, you'll see it around, you know, on, on face creams and things. The, this mm. contains plant stem cells or, the, you know, <laughs> stem cells has become a brand for healing and youth and regeneration and so it's sort of playing on that so it certainly i would say sports injuries um Mm. cosmetic some you know companies might be saying here store your store the cord blood from your babies that's you know there is actually treatment routes for that although again it's problematic the some of the discussions between private and public cord blood banks and then there is the, you know, this the life-limiting conditions where people are being offered a treatment. And it's very, very muddy and murky, actually, that whole arena, because nobody wants to take anyone's last chance away from them. And I guess that empathy always needs to be understood. But on the other hand, there are harms in trying something you know, people might say, Oh, it's going into clinical trials. Well, because something's going into clinical trials, it doesn't actually mean that it is, it, it might be just to check that it's safe. It doesn't mean yeah. there's any efficacy or that it's going to work. And there are mm. harms that are there. So there's a sense of, Well, it's not hurting anyone if I'm willing to risk myself and it's my money, I'm willing to risk it. But there are harms between the, the, the direct to consumer sector really being built up so those are two massive areas Mm. Um, and there's another area which is quite meaty and scientific which is about a type of stem cell so you you might people might have heard of you know tissue specific stem cells might also have heard of embryonic stem cells there's another type of stem cell that emerged which is called an induced pluripotent stem cell And this is where you take like a cell from your skin and you revert it back to behaving, Uh having the options a bit more like an embryonic stem cell. So that's big area of research. But there's a fourth type that people talk about and the terminology of it is very challenging. Originally people called them mesenchymal stem cells. Then people called them mesenchymal stromal cells. And they're cells that can be extracted from bone marrow, from fat tissue, and from cord blood and the, the tricky thing is is that there's a lot of discussion as to whether these cells are even stem cells they are a cell type that people work with so some people now prefer them to be called adipose derived stromal cells rather than saying are these stem cells do they meet the definition of what a stem cell is okay. but the thing is, the thing to tell you this is without getting too boring is that there is a business model here You can take some of my fat, you can extract cells and my own cells will help do something else that I need Mm. in my body. So that type of cell works really well into a business model, but the functionality of them and the safety of them is under a great deal of discussion within the stem cell research community. And when you have scientists battling things out, it makes it very, very difficult for the publics. Because who do they believe?
0: It feels like they both relate back really closely to the the first point you raised about the uh, managing people's expectations with the efficacy and them being told something might work. So, what what kind of conditions could this fourth are the fourth type of cells being used for?
1: It can be any condition. So people, they might say we we're you know diabetes, heart disease, Alzheimer's, dementia brain injury, spinal injury, developmental disorders. So it's sort of like what it's very miracle cure-ish. But a massive section of the regenerative medicine research community is still working on these type of cells. So it's Mm -hmm. very meaty, very complex. And I myself, I'm not the expert Mm -hmm. on them. I just know some of the discussions that you have Mm -hmm. in the public sphere and how hard it is for publics when the scientific community are still wrangling it out.
0: So what is it like trying to communicate with these different audiences? Do you have a a favourite audience to try and communicate or discuss with? Are there some that are more difficult than
1: others? I think I would say that I look for relevant audiences and I don't try and create fights. Mm. So I know that as a public engagement practitioner, I could get one type of scientist in the room, another type of scientist in the room, and um, someone, someone from the patient community or the people affected by a condition community who might want to argue for less regulation and someone from a company and I could just create a complete bedlam, com- a, a, you know, a complete Ramy. Same thing happens if you're, if you're going to do something about embryonic stem cell research. you're almost working backwards to creating a mutual understanding and uh, setting up sort of bridges of dialogue between people Mm. so I, I always think about who is relevant and who is interested here and why are they interested who who has a stake why why would we get them in the room and what's in it for them and what's in it for each other, for us. And there's this sort of balance, these questions that you have to ask yourself. And are there any tools that
0: you use which are really useful to engage any audience?
1: That is such a great question. And I had to think quite hard about this. And the tool, if I had to pick one tool that I wanted to promote to any science communicator, public engagement practitioner, researcher who's getting involved in science communication and public engagement, the tool I would pick would be listening. Mm. Learning to listen, really listen, to be less concerned with what you want to say and to be more concerned about what you can hear from other people, to inquire of them, to ask them questions first, rather than to launch into your monologue. And
0: do you think it's harder or easier to make scientists take part in uh, public engagement that's outside their area?
1: Yeah, there's a spectrum. So there's people (laughs) who love it, who they just find any opportunity and they're like hey I want to do something Mm. and you're like great let's let's this there's this there's this there's this come along (laughs) and I love that and then there's the people who are actually amazing at public engagement and science communication but they're quite nervous of of the Mm. experience and they might feel a bit concerned about not being able to answer certain questions or a lot of people think, oh, I don't know enough. I only know about my own little area of science. I don't know enough. And forget that they even the, the sort of representation that they provide as someone going out, you know, maybe they've got English as a second language. I think that's a great, a great message to be giving to the public. You know, science is a global community. It's, it's, it's not a small thing. So there's all these other outcomes so there's people who are who love it and look for it and feel confident about it there's those who are great at it but just need the encouragement and need the scaffolding of the support of a public engagement practitioner and who can develop their skills and often I say to people don't just do this once you'll learn so much doing it once do it two or three times and then see how you feel about it Mm. because then actually, by two or three times, most people have got the bug and realise how motivational it is for them and how, how um, enlivening and stimulating the experience is. What are the coolest public engagement events that you've heard of? Oh, I'm going to tell you about one <laughs> of the favourite things I did. And it, this wasn't my idea, so I'm not going to claim this was my idea. <laughs> but I ended up facilitating this project for a year And in this project, we went to music festivals and sporting festivals Mm. and other community festivals. And we had a big star-shaped tent. We had various activities and materials in it. But the researchers and I, we sat outside the tent and we painted faces. We we had stem cells, different cells from the blood differentiation hierarchy and we, we painted stem cells on people's faces and their arms and as we painted them we asked them if they knew anything about stem cell research and if they were interested wow. and what questions they might have and it was just amazing the conversations that people had at that time. It was very simple but very powerful and particularly in terms of engaging with um, the sort of 16 to 24-year-old age group. yeah. And some people would say, oh, stem cells, is that something to do with plants? And you just realize, oh, really? yeah, that you are getting the opportunity to have the first conversation to frame that bit of science for someone, which is a huge privilege, mm-hmm. um, rather than it being framed, for example, by the media or by, by another another actor in the area and it was there was just something that it was just about person to person it was just about having a good conversation with people about stem cell research and I just was so impressed with the researchers who got stuck in you know and I remember one time we were all camping at tea in the park and it was hard hard work because you didn't get much sleep (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you didn't get much chance to wash and there was just this sense of seeing people spending all that time each day just sharing their passion for what they did yeah. and, and taking the time to talk to people and some people had some really hard stories related to mm. conditions that researchers were working on and it just felt sometimes public engagement feels yeah. like helping one human relate to another human with Mm. science in the mix it's like let's be a person and meet a person about science and that that initiative for me it was called hope beyond hype the project Um, that initiative really epitomized that for me a human meeting another human Mm. so there was like there was more you know I I remember a time setting up uh, like a science cafe and in Stockholm in the Karolinska Institute or oh. running, running demonstration sessions for huge audiences. Like that stuff is really great and really exciting. And it's amazing when you get this opportunity to do something really special. Mm-hmm. But actually when it comes down to it, what I love is yeah, the sitting painting a red blood cell on someone's arm and <laughs> <laughs> talking about stem cell research
0: that is awesome I'm gonna I'm gonna be telling so many people that story as well so that
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm
0: very engaged with this <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: it was really cool
0: many thanks to Jan for joining me this week to show us how science can be more than communicating